Plants capture CO2. What if we could help industrial plants capture it too? Think how we could help lower emissions. It's one way ExxonMobil is helping industrial plants be more like plants. Welcome to NFL Live. Jack Collinsworth, Jeff Darlington, got the three-time Super Bowl champ, you know, Darren Woodson, and the three-time Pro Bowl running back as well, DeMarco Murray over on the far side of the table. DeMarco, I'm told we have a little bit of news off the top. What's on your mind, man? Yeah, a little news. I've decided to retire from the game of football today. <laughs> That's not little, man. <laughs> That's not little. It's been great. It's been a great seven years of my career. I've been very um, blessed to have had the coaching staffs and the players and the teammates that I've been fortunate enough to play with for the last seven years of my career, and uh, it's been a long time thinking. The last year or two, and physically, mentally, emotionally, I think it's time for me to you know hang hang it up. As as hard as it is, um, just like I said, the fans has been great. Um, had a, a lot of great games and a lot of great teammates, so it's bittersweet. But I think for me, it's the right timing for myself and my family moving forward. How do you know? I mean, I, I, it's got to be so tough internally. How do you know when it's the right time to walk away? I think you just wake up. I've always heard the saying, when you know, you know, and one day, you know, yep. that day will come. And for me, it's been the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And like I said, I've been constantly thinking about this, working out still in great shape, feel great. And like I said, it's, it, it's time. It's time for me. Mm-hmm. I just woke up, you know, a couple of weeks ago and it, and it started to burn and burn and trigger and, and it got deeper. So um, this morning I decided to Call it, call it a career. What's the one thing that you know right off the bat that you're going to miss about the game? The camaraderie. I mean, there's nothing like a locker room, right? The locker room, the guys, guys you grind with, summers, and you get better with, and you win a lot of great games, and you, and you, and sometimes you lose. So those those moments, whether they're good or bad, I feel like those are the moments that I'll cherish the most. That locker room, there's nothing like it. Obviously, the coaching staffs, great, great players. Coach Garrett, my first year. Um, you know, Coach Malarkey, the past year past two years it's been great but the the teammates my teammates a lot of great friends a lot of great memories and mm. you know it, it's not over the friendship's not over it will con- continue as a reporter we often get to break news about somebody that people might not know but it was really special today yeah. when DeMarco told us this news that he was retiring because it wasn't something that any of us expected right uh I mean I just want to thank you first of all for letting us be a part of it it's very special but yeah. like how emotional is this for you? It's very emotional. It, it, obviously getting a little choked up up here trying to keep composure, but um, I've, I've dealt with it and I've understood for me, moving forward, this is the best decision for my future. I have a four-year-old daughter, two-year-old little boy, Parker and Savannah. I love you guys. You <laughs> um, so I get to spend more time with them, get to travel, and hopefully get comfortable up here, here, up here with you guys. That's, That's right. right. That's right. <laughs> That's right That's after right. yesterday's show, you're feeling pretty good about retirement. Yeah. But you know, it, I've been through the situation. Yeah. I understand it when you retire. You, you just said it the right way, man. You know when it's time to walk away. You know when it's time. Because it takes so much out of you to prepare to get ready for a season. And I know a lot of fans probably, they see the finished product on Sunday, mm-hmm. but they don't see the preparation that you have to endure. Not only that, but the family. Miss time with the family and right. you've seen your kids are growing up. I mean, talk about that a little bit. It's a hard process. Mentally, physically, and emotionally, it's a hard process. You mentioned it. Not just Sundays, but August, spring, summer, all these times where you're working out. You're working so hard for 16 weeks yep. and obviously to get a chance to make the playoffs and win Super Bowls, but for me, I take losses very hard. Mm. And after a loss, it was starting to weigh down on me a year ago mentally, and it was just kind of 
it was a lot harder to get over those losses for me. Mm-hmm. And obviously, I've had a lot of success, won a bunch of games as a team, and it's great. It's great to do those things. But like you said, working out the hours that we spend away from our families. I have two little ones. I have a mm-hmm. beautiful wife. So for me, I want to have the chance to raise my family the right way, continue to be around the game. I love the game. It's been around my life since I was seven years old when I started playing football. So I'll continue to stay around the game as much as possible. But at the end of the day, I want to spend more time with my family and move on to some better, bigger and better things. Right. Congratulations, you, man. man. Awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Hell of a run. Thank you. Marco Murray. Well, now, well, let's just talk a little football. What do you think? Let's do what we let's do. do man. Let's get to Ben McAdoo. Spoke to the New York Post for the first time since retirement. We have a few quotes to get to to play here. Since he got fired, retirement. Jesus, Pete. Speaking of retirement, retirement. <laughs> he got fired. Here we go. So we call this great game one of the great games at show business. Sounds good or sounds bad? That's what we go. We we'll go to the first quote here. This is McAdoo. He said, "Speaking about the Giants, I think that they are going to win the division. I think Philly. How much success they've had, McAdoo said. I think they're going to have a hard time handling success. Dallas, I like their offensive line, but how long have we been saying that? Their defense, they got a bunch of young guys playing DB. Sean Lee is banged up a lot. And their D-line, they got a bunch of guys getting in trouble all the time. And Washington is Washington right. How about that? Little quote (laughs) off the top. So for Darren, the game is simple. Sounds good? Sounds bad? What do you think? It sounds good, but I don't have a problem. The only thing I have a problem with with him saying was Philadelphia. Because how do you know how they're going to handle the situation of of being successful? I think they're going to handle it extremely well. But for him to say the New York Giants are going to win the division, hey, that's his opinion. He was spot on when he talked about the Dallas Cowboys and said, hey, their defense is young. Their defensive line has been in trouble over the years. And then the Washington Redskins, we still don't know who they are. I I didn't have a problem at all with what Ben Bacadou had to say. All right. Let's I just go. had to tweet out to Marco Murray's retirement. Though. Sorry about that. I was already <laughs> going on I think the TV camera is Well, now we'll go to this is on not drafting a quarterback in the first round. He had to say this. With the guys that came out this year, I'm not surprised that they went the route they went by not drafting a guy. I wouldn't have stood on the table to draft any quarterback number two either. Okay, bear in mind here, this is the same guy that benched Eli Manning, ended that incredible streak that he had going, same kind of a thing. Good or bad, what do we think with this one? I think sounds good. I agree with him here. You cannot pass up on the best player in the draft, Saquon Barkley. This guy's a monster. He's going to be, this, he's going to be the best player in the league for the next three to four years. I think he'll, hopefully, I think, I can say this on the show, by year two, I think he'll be the NFL MVP. Look at wow. this. Yes, I, I feel like Saquon Barkley was the best player in the draft. For the next three or four years, he's going to have a great, great year with the Giants. You got Odell Beckham. You got a lot of help in the passing game. So, hey, we'll see how he's been retired for together. Been retired for together, man. He's got hot runs. Right, right. This is on. This is on Nate Solder. We'll get to this quote now. He said, "Getting a left tackle in there will help them in a lot of ways." McAdoo said of Solder. I don't think he's a very good player, but I think it will help them in a lot of ways where they need help in that room in the past, and they haven't had anyone to do that. Okay, Jeff, what do you think? Sounds Sounds terrible. (laughs) Yeah, I'm with you. Come on, Ben McAdoo. Like, you're not coming off of success in your career. You don't need to take cheap shots. Look, here's what I'll say. Nate Solder is not necessarily regarded as being a top three, top five left tackle in the NFL. But he is, according to a couple of left tackles that I just was texting with, still very good, very, very worthy of being a franchise left tackle and deserving of money because that's what you have to pay left tackles this day and age. Look, he is a good player. Is he a very good player? I would say his championship suggests 
that he is a very good player. I just don't understand why Ben McAdoo has to do this. I don't get it. It sounds terrible to me. We're going to find out a lot about Nate Solder because that ball is not going to come out as fast as it did. Yeah, that's fine. But, you know, Andrew Whitworth, everybody thought that he was done and went out and had a renaissance of his own with the Los Angeles Rams. So, I mean, I think this is a guy who can still continue to protect the blind side in an effective manner. Definitely not not worthy of sitting here and taking a shot at him. True. That is true. Yeah, I agree. I just think it's weak. Yep. For the record, let the record reflect the Giants never <laughs> scored 30 points in a single game under Ben McAdoo. So there you go. Very early in your career, you learn to watch film. And as you watch film, you notice players you want to emulate. The first time I watched Junior Seau on film, I said to myself, I want to play like that. No one knew how to block Junior because no one knew what he was going to do. He played off of instinct. He reacted to what he felt. His career wasn't about completing a defensive assignment. He played linebacker with one philosophy, get the guy with the ball. And he could do it any way he wanted. He was strong enough to go through you. He was fast enough to run you down. He was crazy enough to do whatever it took to get the job done. Add to that the inspiration that was Junior Seau. Or as we all knew him, Buddy! The fire, the passion, the unrelenting intensity the love. Junior not only loved this game with all his heart, but he loved his teammates, and his teammates loved him back. It was one of the greatest thrills of my career to play with Junior Seau. This game will never, ever see another like him. Well, buddy, you are a Hall of Famer. Much love, buddy. So, we're now 55 days to football. We'll open the vintage vault to pay tribute to the great Junior Seau. Uh, we'll go to you here, Darren, first. How will you remember a Junior? What do you man, that was strong. That was good. Yeah, was. God, that yeah. was strong. An emotional yeah. show today, man. Yeah, I know. Super. <laughs> a lot of tears. Plus, I remember he was inspiring. I, mean, I remember when I first came in the league and just to watch Junior Seau play on tape. And they would, I would watch – you know, it would be the San Diego Chargers playing uh, whomever. And you, the one guy that would always pop off the yeah. field was, was Junior. And it was because of the way he played the game. It was ferocious. It was the tenacity uh, of going full speed. And that's, your coaches, when, when you're a kid, the, your, the coaches always tell you, you're going to make mistakes, but you go full speed when you make those mistakes. And that's what Junior Seau did. He just played the game. Uh, at the highest level, and they get that motor. You always hear, well, the guy's motor runs hot. That's Junior Seau. He's the definition of that motor runs hot and continues to go. Junior Seau was the guy that uh, just defined that moment. Marco, what's, what's your memory of Seau's career? I'd agree. Obviously, I was young. Didn't have a chance to play with him or against him, but he was so passionate. Looking yeah. at the games, looking how happy he was to be out there with his teammates. It was so much passion that he played with. It was incredible. Physically, athletically, fast guy. Running back, I wouldn't want to see that guy. So, I'm yeah. gonna, I mean, he, he was just a huge fan of him, but he was so passionate about the game. That's what really motivated me to play so this game. I got a good uh, Seau story. Former Dolphins linebacker Channing Crowder, who was a teammate of Seau, said that Nick, when Nick Saban took on Seau uh, with the Dolphins, he was playing for the Dolphins, and uh, Seau comes out with sneakers on, no cleats. And Saban's super strict about that stuff. He says, comes over to him, where's your cleats? And, uh, and Seau just goes, buddy, buddy, buddy. <laughs> You don't want me to wear cleats. If I wear cleats, I'll be faster than everybody. And if I'm faster than everybody, somebody's going to get hurt. He goes, and we don't want anybody to get hurt, do we? Okay, good talk. 
I can't imagine a saving space. And he runs to the huddle, and every player around just jaws drop like, did he just say that to Nick Saban? But that was the beauty yeah. of Junior Seau. He could do it, not only because of the way he performed on the field, but because, as you just heard from Teddy Bruschi, he was such a dynamic leader, someone who was respected by everybody. And, oh, by the way, he was exactly right. If he had cleats on, he was going to hurt somebody. (laughs) Definitely. The career numbers for Junior, 20 years he played, 12 of those he appeared in the Pro Bowl. You see those 56 and a half sacks, 18 interceptions, and of course, you heard the 2015 Pro Football Hall of Fame inductee. A great one, man. Yeah. Yep. And now, a thought from Geico Motorcycle. It took 15 minutes to take a spirit animal quiz online. Please be the cheetah. Please be the cheetah. And learn your animal isn't the cheetah, but the far less appealing blobfish. Oh, come on. To add insult to injury, you could have used those 15 blobfish minutes to switch your motorcycle insurance to GEICO. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on motorcycle insurance. All right, so we do have the NFL holding an officiating clinic this week. This is the first time where you have all of the officials get together. They, they all, the entire group gets together in Texas, go through all the new rules. And specifically, I think the one that, the, the big one that everyone is going to be talking about uh, is the helmet rule. That you now, if you lower your helmet, essentially as a runner, as a tackler, that that will be a flag immediately. What are you hearing as we welcome in now Stefano Fasaro about how the NFL will enforce the new rule? Well, in reality, you have to look around the league. Some of the viewers, so they understand just how concerned some people are with this situation. Uh, now retired referee Terry McCauley said that these are the most significant rule changes he's seen in his entire 20-year career. And to top it off, you have four brand-new uh, head referees entering the fold this season. And I asked Senior Vice President of Officiating Al Riveron just how concerned he is to make sure he gets these new guys and everybody else up to speed before the preseason begins. Rule changes, let's take that portion of the question first. Rule changes, whether you're a referee side judge, an umpire, a down judge, you better be great at the rules. We don't have time, and we don't say our referees have to be the best at the rules. We have seven officials on the field, two upstairs, and everybody better be top-notch in the rules. If not, you don't belong in this league. Now, these referees, of course, have been part of officiating crews uh, over the last several years, and they have been head referees in college. One of the new guys is Sean Hockley. Of course, he's the son of former NFL, famous NFL referee Ed Hockley, and he's still got a little work to do in the, in the bicep department to match dad. <laughs> and so does the rest of the world, frankly. Uh, what are you hearing about yeah. how the officials will determine the difference between an ejection and then a standard unnecessary roughness penalty? Well, it will be looked at uh, on-site in the field by the referees up in the booth as well as in New York. Any, any ejection that does occur in the game will be, uh, t- will be taking a look at over in New York with the officials over there. So obviously it will be a process uh, when it comes to actually ejecting a player from a game. So there you go. Thank you very much, sir. We'll, we'll now welcome in DeMarco and the whole crew. I, from a running back perspective here, how difficult do you think it would be? I mean, thinking about lowering your head at all, full speed, the whole thing. What's your concern with the new rule? For a running back, it's hard. I mean, you look at it three years ago when the whole Trent Richardson, the top of the crown, that was the hardest, most 
elaborate blow I've ever seen from a running back when you're speaking of hitting them with the crown of your helmet. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be hard to officiate this. As a running back, as a lot of defensive backs, you tend to lead with your head. You want to get the one-yard, short-yardage, goal-line situations. You want to put your head down. You just have to be smart about it, but it's going to be hard to officiate. Didn't they even try to restrict it back then? Was that a rule emphasis or a rule change? Like, didn't they tell you guys to stop leading with your head? They did. But I don't know if it happened. <laughs> but that's, and that's yeah. what I think that's the big wonder right now yeah. in league circles is like, yes, we understand that this rule has been imposed. Yes, we get that the refs right now are trying to figure out exactly how to impose it. But that's a huge question. I mean, it's still a wonder even as the NFL continues to try to elaborate on it. What about from a tackling perspective? When yeah. you're coming up, you're safety or corner on full speed line, whatever the case may be. I mean, is it possible realistically to... Not realistically, but I, I don't think this rule really affects the defensive side because the rule, the intent yeah. as far as helmet to helmet has always affected the defensive yeah. side, and they've had officials out every camp. The coaches have taught defensive players over the years, don't go, at, don't go to the head, don't lower your head. So this is on the defensive side, this has been, you know, cause and effect for the longest, for the last five or six years. The effect is going to be on the offensive side of the ball, especially with running backs, Quarterbacks doing quarterback yeah. sneaks. Tom Brady on third and one every time. Exactly. That's where the effect or pulling guard coming around with his, right. head, his head down. They're going to have to get taught, to be taught how to play the game differently now. But for defensive players, we've been talking about this for years. Hopefully yeah. it's the case for making the game a lot safer. That's right. So, yeah. I mean, yeah. But it's going to be hard to think about that in certain situations, thinking of goal line, short yardage situations. You mentioned Tom Brady. So we'll see how that goes. They are not going to throw out a quarterback. <laughs> That's not happening. <laughs> That's not, it's not yeah. happening. <laughs> And we do, we do as well want to get a, an update on, on the situation with, with LaShawn McCoy, the woman who called 911 after being beaten and robbed of jewelry in a Tuesday home invasion, told police she believed her ex-boyfriend, thought to be Buffalo Bills running back LaShawn McCoy, set her up for the attack. And so we do want to welcome in our Bills reporter, Mike Rodak, right now to try to get the latest. Mike, what are you hearing right now? Well, there was a report this morning that the victim may have backtracked in her statement and was not as certain about LaShawn McCoy being involved as she was in the 911 call. But the fact is, she wasn't certain in that 911 call. She simply suspected that LaShawn McCoy might have played a role. And that is what her attorney, Tanya Mitchell Graham, just told me a few minutes ago over the phone that her client has never actually blamed LaShawn McCoy for being behind this home this home invasion but she does suspect him for having played a role given some circumstantial evidence particularly that the only item that was taken was a piece of jewelry that LaShawn McCoy had wanted back and at one point LaShawn McCoy told police that that piece of jewelry had been loaned by a jeweler and was not actually owned but her attorney says that's not true and in fact that was given to her as a gift given to the victim as a gift and she still believes that it is hers. So, Mike, how are the Bills and how are the NFL handling this? Well, the Bills begin training camp in just 13 days. And really the big question is whether LaShawn McCoy will go on the commissioner's exempt list. There has been no indication as of yet that the NFL has ruled that out. But that list does usually require charges to be filed of a violent crime uh, where a player has either done the violent crime or has engaged in conduct that puts somebody else at risk. However, it can be a player can be placed on the exempt list if he is simply suspected of a crime and the NFL is still investigating. So that's the big question before training camp begins for the Bills. There's been no indication yet that they've brought in any free agent running backs, but I did speak to a source today 
who said they have expressed interest in former Chargers running back Bo Oliver. That interest predates this LaShawn McCoy story. But once the front office gets back from vacation, they could bring in Bo Oliver for a visit. Mike, great stuff. Thank you very much. And we'll continue to bring you all the details we have. We want to get to Jeff now on this. What are you hearing right now on LaShawn McCoy? Well, there's a reason why the NFL and the Bills, you haven't seen any action from them, and is because they are maintaining patience, not because their head is in the sand, but because this story has plenty in terms of playing out when it comes to the actual police investigation. You heard Mike just say that now uh, this... Um, the, the person's, the victim's attorney is now walking back blame toward LaShawn McCoy. She very clearly stated LaShawn McCoy's name as the, the likely participant in this uh, involvement. Now, what I have heard here in, in that regard is that just a year ago, police responded to another call in which LaShawn McCoy told police that he was concerned that this very woman would potentially falsely accuse him of something in the domestic violence nature. That's why the Bills and the NFL are having a difficult time doing anything right now with an exemption list or any course of action because they want the police to continue to investigate this and find out as much as they can before they take any action. It is convenient, by the way, that we are in sort of the doldrums of the offseason. It allows perhaps for a little bit more patience. Everybody understands the seriousness of this. I can absolutely assure you of this. I think that everybody wants to walk a very clear line here, though, and make sure that this investigation does take its course. And as it does, we will bring you any details that we gather. Fear is that sense that you get in your gut that you're not going to be able to do whatever it was you set out to do. Oh, divine fear. <laughs> There's nothing better than knowing that you have somebody in front of you that has fear. Fear sets in. Fear is the enemy of execution. Fear make you make mistakes. I play the game for that simple fact, to take another man's will. I'm going to catch you, and I'm going to get you. Boo. There's nothing wrong with a little fear. As we speak on trepidation, today, folks, is Friday, July 13th, 2018. And to me in the NFL, there's two types of fear. There's that fear of embarrassment. Randy Moss, OBJ. Those guys can embarrass you out there. Then there's the fear of the wrecking balls that call NFL fields their workspace. So on Friday the 13th, we figured we'd light the fire and do it the old-fashioned way, tell a couple of horror stories of the most fearful times. I fear you, Jack. You look creepy, I'm going to tell you what, man. This may be the best or the worst idea we've ever had. We're going to find out. Hey, pass me those, <laughs> pass me those marshmallows, would you? <laughs> no, i got to turn this thing right off. Or... You get some marshmallows. <laughs> starting to have trouble seeing Fire's not hot right now. We got yeah. beers? <laughs> anybody, uh, anybody have a, uh, a little story you guys got? What's going on, man? I have one. Far away, Ooh. far away, Wood. And I have to start. <laughs> what you got? Randy Moss. Randy Moss came in the league, and we all know he came in by storm. And he always had a vendetta against the Dallas Cowboys because the Cowboys are supposed to draft him. Well, it's on Thanksgiving. In his rookie year, something just fell. Yep. <laughs> anyway, so we're in a play, and they do a flea flicker, and I'm, I'm supposed to be the deepest guy of the deepest. 
and Randy catches the ball over Kevin Smith, which was actually my fault. I should have been the deepest of the There I am right there. My eyes are in the backfield, and Moss just runs by me. I thought about this play, and I continue to think about this play because I left my corner, Kevin Smith, out on the hook. But here's the other play. Here's the one that really scared me. We were in Minnesota the next year, the following year, and there was a play on the outside. We had a corner that went down, and he couldn't play, and I had to come in on the outside as, and line up against Randy Moss on the outside. And this play goes on, and it's just he and I one-on-one on this play. And they run the running ball. They run the ball. And Randy's yelling at the, at the quarterback saying, give me the ball. Give me the ball. And I'm outside. My knees are shaking. And cannot believe. And there I go. I'll make a play. This time, the second time we come around, I'm covering him again. I end up making a play. But uh, were you legit scared? Like, were you really legit? Like, like yeah. yeah. Like, it was not like, cool that you were lined up. I'm waving in another corner. Why I didn't want to be out there. Why did that happen? miscommunication? Yeah, miscommunication. Some guys didn't want to be out on the field. You know, listen, he, he put the fear in a lot of cornerbacks. Hey. But I stood my own when he came back to it. Hey, how about on that first play, you getting out of the picture real quick so you're not on the highlight? Hey, can we – my story's over with. <laughs> Is my story, story over with, Jack? As soon as you shut off your flashlight, we're going to move on to the next one, will you? It's off. Can I turn mine off? I'm having trouble seeing it here. Yeah, no, you got to keep <laughs> okay, it on. Okay, I'm going to keep this on. You want Anybody go else got one? I might as well take it. That was, a scary, that was a scary story. That was. I like that a lot of fear let me, guys, let, me, let me tell you guys a scarier story. Rookie year. You saw the, you saw the first run I had, so I'm, I'm – I'm, you know, on top of the world right now. Yep. <laughs> Monday night football, the biggest game of my career, going against the Bears defense. The Bears defense. You think about championships, great linebackers, great defenses. You think about the Chicago Bears. Mm-hmm. So, I'm a running back. I'll have a long day with these linebackers. Brian Erlacher mm. is his name. Is the name that he goes by. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Warm-ups, I see him. I'm looking over there. He's not as big as what I think. First play, I line up. This guy is a monster. <laughs> he is every bit of 6'4", 250 plus. And he is a monster. See, my eyes were on him. When they should have been on the ball, I dropped it. Tried to make something happen. Nothing happened. <laughs> Loss of five yards. Everyone's looking at me crazy. I was looking at Brian Erlacher because I really? knew he would shoot that backside A gap, and I knew my center guard wouldn't take off, so I was afraid that he may get the ball before I caught it. That's awesome. <laughs> Let's hear yours. Right. Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm loving this. Still as a uh, scrawny tool bag reporter. You can say that again. Say it one more time. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm covering the Miami Dolphins yeah. for the Miami Herald as a beat reporter, and uh, we're around Joey Porter. His locker and a reporter brethren says to him, uh, hey, Joey, do you have any residual effects from your knee injury? And Joey looks up at him and says, uh, residual? You don't got to use those big words on me, man. Let's keep this simple. And like really berates the guy for using it. So the next day in the newspaper, I, I don't like that he's taking down the other reporter. And I write, uh, Joey Porter might be many things, a great football player, maybe a comedian, maybe even a boxer, but he will never be a spelling bee champion. Residual, and I make fun of him in the newspaper. Next day, I'm in the locker room. Joey Porter walks in, shirtless monster. <laughs> Where's Jeff Darlington? <laughs> and every reporter just points over at me and the sea parts, and he comes up to me and looks down my face and says, Okay, okay. So I am so scared. I mean, I might have, yeah. you know, wet yourself. <laughs> Definitely wet myself. And uh, so, so, so later, though, I go up to Joey and I say, uh, Joey, man, like, I thought we were, you know, just having some fun. You have some fun. He goes, man, he's like all cordial now and cooled down. He's like, 
I was just upset because Jason Taylor saw me in the parking lot and said, you don't know what residual means? <laughs> <laughs> that was a scary, scary moment, boys. Hey, the, the number 13 got the whole superstition thing, right? I mean, I, this may be a stretch, but we're going to take it anyway. You guys ever have any superstitions before games or anything like that? Um, I personally didn't. But I remember Deion Sanders having a superstition, and he would lay out his clothes in front of his locker, and it looked like a dead body laying in front of the locker. <laughs> the helmet, the, the little band he had around his neck, the, the jersey, his arm sleeves, all the way down to his shoes. And he would lay them out on the, on the ground, and you could not step over them. Really? Yeah, that was his superstition, and no one could step over that, what we call the dead body. That's <laughs> awesome. The ground. That's cool, crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. That's you a good something? one. You have it? I would say I love, I, wear, I love wearing white cleats. White cleats is my thing. One, I wasn't that fast, so they made you look faster on film when you watched it the next day. Yeah, so they do. white cleats. They I really love, do. Yes, I yep. love icy white cleats whenever I wore, wore my uniform. Fresh pair, new pair of cleats before every Sunday game. Yep. Didn't wear them in practice to break a man. I wanted fresh new cleats every Sunday. Although they got dirty, but Those I dogs wanted to <laughs> hurt new cleats. New cleats, brand new. I like them tight. I like them tight. You know, feet made me a lot of money. So you got right. Something. about that. What about the uh, the white gloves? White gloves as well. I always match my gloves with my um, cleats. So was, was that a superstition or just more about looking? Yeah, that's a little like, bit yeah. of both. A little yeah. bit of both. So I'm thankful for Adidas because they kept <laughs> yeah. they kept Plug. sending me new cleats. Yeah. <laughs> that's more of a diva. That ain't like a no, superstition. No, 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 that's no, like no, new, no. new cleats, new new gloves, all white. That's uh, <laughs> a pre-show. Pre pre I don't have any superstitions. superstitions. <laughs> you all are some freaks. Like I mean, it's just weird. Like, <laughs> like foot, football but athletes are weird people. Like really super. Yes. Weird people. Like people think, oh, idolize athletes. You know, they're weird people. It's creature. Yeah. Who got to be creatures of habit? Yeah. I mean, that's the reason we do the things that we do. Yeah. We, we are I mean, mentally. Yeah. We we get focused on one thing, and that's pregame meal. Do you have the same one every time? Like Luke, oh, I'm, I'm different. I'm different. I'm different on pre because sometimes you. You wake up and you want a big breakfast or you want a small. It depends on your appetite. Well, and the more, night before. And <laughs> the night before. Yeah, what yeah, you definitely. eat the night before? Yeah. Yes. Well. This was fun, fellas. Yeah, it was yeah, good it was time. Great. I'm still not sure if it was a great idea or a bad idea, but I enjoyed the heck out of it. Yeah, anyway, it's Friday the 13th still. Yeah, we have, uh, what I'm told, are some unsolved mysteries as we head into camp. Hey, man. Oh, boy. Hey, dude. As we head into camp. All right, so why not? We'll keep this whole Friday the 13th theme rolling here. <laughs> There's still some unsolved mysteries as we head into training camp. So we'll start with the first one. We have Des Bryant, who somehow remains a free agent with camp fast approaching. Why do we think he is still out there as a free agent? Well, I think it's a little – first of all, Des Bryant's going to get signed at some point before either right. during training camp or after training camp. He'll be on someone's team. I look at it and say that – there's some give and take with Dez, and I think there's been a lot of positive and a lot of negative that comes with signing a guy like Dez Bryant, and it's because of his experience with the Dallas Cowboys, and I'm sure other teams are looking at it saying, listen, as great as a football player as he was, his, his, his production has dropped down. There were some locker room incidences that the people have rumored out there, so I'm sure there's a little bit of both of those that they're weighing before they bring on a guy like Dez because you're going to get a little fire when you bring in a guy like him, and I still think – I still, I'll sit here and personally, I still think he has a lot more in the tank left in him. I, I do too, and I would just point out that Des Bryant, by the way, did turn down a contract already, a multi-year yeah. deal from the Baltimore Ravens, because he wants the one-year deal that allows him to hit free agency next year and sort of approve a contract. So this is not just, this. don't, don't buy into the narrative that interest does not exist in Des That's Bryant. Right. He's going to wind up on a football team. He would prefer to do it on a one-year deal 
prove it contract. How, does he need, how much does he need to prove it at this point? I mean, I, don't you worry when you, closer you get to 30, is a little danger zone too. Sure, right? but when the multi-year contract isn't the money that you think you're worth as a number one receiver, yeah. that's what that number that one year, like Sheldon Richardson doing with the Vikings, yeah. doing a one-year deal to eventually yeah. get paid, that's what Dez would ultimately like to do and get that windfall because his contract didn't allow such in this uh Past situation. Learn something new every day. Here we go. Earl Thomas trade talk. Been all over the place. Little bug spray was shot in that fire when Mike's caught Thomas yelling to Jason Garrett, if you have a chance to get me, come get me after their Christmas Eve game last year. So we'll go to DeMarco on this. Uh, first of all, what do you think of that moment? And second of all, what do you think of where he ends up? I mean, I saw the, saw it after the game. I thought it was remarkable that he had the audacity to even do that. <laughs> it's crazy. It was crazy. I, mean, it was crazy. I was there. It was yeah. weird. It was <laughs> so weird just to look at it from a, as a teammate. I would have looked at him a little weird, to be honest. But he went to UT. Yeah. He's a Texas guy. He went and asked the head coach for the opposition after, you, after the game yeah. to come get me. You look at Seahawks' defense. Sherman's gone. Bennett is gone. A lot of new faces on that team. Why not? Trade him to Dallas, get a second first-round draft pick for him. I think that would make a great fit for Dallas as well, bringing that championship mentality to the Cowboys. Many expected that if this was going to happen, it would have had to have happened on draft day. But from what I understand, this trade is not necessarily the door is not closed on it. It could still happen. I just thought it was weird. Cliff Averill, his teammate, told Sirius XM that, like, legit, everybody knows what a fan he is of the Cowboys to the point where, like, he would leave – uh, practice quick to, to go watch them on Monday Night Football. Like, that's, that's isn't that weird? Hey, that's, that's weird. That's a little strange. Cowboy strange. Yeah, it <laughs> is. All right. I don't really but not when you're the not when you're the, got not when you're on another team. Not, not when you're on another team. Right. Right. Hey, you can't listen, do that. We're talking about that. the Seattle Seahawks. Yeah. I mean, that locker room has always been. You say what you feel. Yeah. And they the chips fall where they may. That's how they've always operated things. And that's and this Earl Thomas situation is no different than the other other situation. All I'm saying, I feel like it's very unique that any active NFL player is such a fan of another team that he like I, I just don't hear that if very you often. are you would never say it <laughs> you would never say yeah. it on camera in front of your Funny. teammates you know I, I think it was bizarre he wants it yeah, yeah he does he Make it happen. from you know Seattle also USC I mean that tracks yeah. him talk about the yeah. lose environment yeah. thing we'll get to Le'Veon Bell now that's a big one right here Le'Veon and the Steelers still working hard to get that deal done got the deadline Monday Jeff where are the two parties Well, look, I still think there's a chance. From what I understand, based on my conversations, there will be a final push to get this done. Le'Veon Bell has been uh, at least confident that things have moved further this year than they did last year. The problem still here is guaranteed money. That's what it's all about for Le'Veon Bell. He wants to get paid. I didn't hear you. The the problem, by the way, between uh, now, like the two inevitabilities are, if they don't pay him by July 16th, do not expect to see Le'Veon Bell in camp, expect to see him instead at the start of the season. The second of which, based on my conversations, is that this would probably be his last year with the Steelers if they tagged him the second time. All right, let's go, let's go to DeMarco on this one. So how much would you, let's say you're sitting there in Pittsburgh, you're the guy putting together this roster, how much would you be willing to pay Le'Veon Bell? I would give him what he wants. <laughs> I, would give him, I mean, he, he, he's, he's, he's the guy who has led this offense He's, the, he's Antonio Brown. you got Ben Roethlisberger. Mm-hmm. This is the guy who makes this motor go. He's the best player on that team besides A.B. I think he's the reason why you played in the big games the past couple of years. Jerry hey, McGuire over here. Give him a little money. Give him a little money. <laughs> it's now to challenge flags. Rookie edition. Darren, who are you challenging? I'm going to challenge Baker Mayfield. And Jeff Darlington, because oh. Jeff said, Baker, you're going to win the job over Tyrod Taylor in the, in the tra- during training camp, and yeah. I'm challenging you 
Because actually, we got some money. You're on just this trying week. to hold me accountable? Uh, uh, absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'm going to double down, my friend, and Go challenge ahead. Sam Darnold oh, okay. to also start week one. <laughs> Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold. Hey, who knows? Maybe Rosen. Maybe Josh That's Allen. Rosen, yeah. We could have four rookies starting week Ain't one. Happening. But I'm promising you, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are starting week, week one, one, my friend. <laughs> okay, you remember this. I'm hoping the Baker, that one wins. So I'm challenging Saquon Barkley to be the third rookie like to leave. I broke it. Hey, I'm still strong. I'm still strong. I'm still strong. I challenge Saquon Barkley to be the third rookie running back to lead the league in rushing yards. Let's see if he can do it. I think he can. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Congratulations. Hey, that bear's coming. Bear's coming.